watching us uh, by online. Uh, a couple things before we kick off today. Men, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, May 26th, we'll be kicking back off our men's small group that meets on Tuesdays. We will not be meeting in the fellowship hall, but because, praise God, we have been given the opportunity to host an AA meeting that will now begin meeting on Tuesday night in the fellowship hall. So we'll be down in the 412 center. Uh, so I encourage you men, come out to that. It's going to be great. Also, in the month of June, we're going to be kicking back, starting back up our next steps class. Uh, if you are new here, uh, if you are a new follower of Jesus or walked away for a while and have reconnected with Christ, I encourage you, take those four weeks. We'll be letting you know more information. It's a 45-minute class for four weeks. Starts at 10 a.m. We're out by, uh, out by 1045 in time for you to join us at the 11 a.m. All right, y'all ready? Listen, we still got a lot out, so they're still away for the coronavirus. Hey, praise God, this Friday, man, they're supposed to lift all the stuff in Tennessee. Come on, anybody excited about that? These, these uh, Dollywood season passes have been burning a hole in my pocket. I'm ready to take my grandbaby, my granddaughter to ride everything they'll allow me to make her ride. This week we did a welcome the arrival of a new grandbaby, Sonny St. Jones. I come in here Thursday night, or I was here Thursday night uh, for Celebrate Recovery, helping them get set up. And uh, uh, Danny said, CK, did I, did I hear right? Did Sheridan give birth in your bathtub? I said, yeah. He said, on purpose? I said, yes, she elected to do a home birth and uh, had a midwife. And it, it, it has been a wonderfully exhausting week at our house. But, but it's been great. Uh, today, this Graduate Recognition Day, kicking off a new series, What If Only. What if only? Uh, you don't have to be a graduate to know that those three words will encompass the two biggest ifs in your life. What if or if only? What if or if only? If only will deal a lot with regret. If only I'd stayed in school. Anybody, come on, anybody ever had that one? If only I'd stayed in school, I wouldn't have been a pastor at what's the point? No, I'm joking. Little humor, little humor. Uh, if only, if, if only I hadn't gone to that party. If only I hadn't taken that first hit. If only I hadn't logged on to that website. If, if, if only I hadn't lost my cool. And we deal with a lot of if onlys. Uh, or then we got the what ifs. Things is, what if I actually can get through this? What if he, God is for me, not against me? What if I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me? Uh, and there are a lot of what ifs and if onlys in our life. Um, years ago, uh, uh, Kennedy, when she graduated high school, our, uh, our uh, next oldest daughter, decided she wanted to take a trip to Europe. Her and her mom, that, that was going to be their graduation trip. They were going to do a European cruise. And, and Kennedy had this big idea, this is what we're going to do, Mom. Uh, and, and they pulled it off. They did. They, they visited uh, Monaco, uh, uh, Monaco, France, the Amalfi Coast, 
Barcelona, Rome, Venice, Croatia. One of their excursions, they went to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. This is a picture of them. They're doing all the touristy things. Denise has got her acting like she's holding it up. Kelly's acting like she's leaning against it. Now, here's why I show you that picture. What enabled this picture to, to materialize? What, what enabled it to, to happen? You know, I could say, well, you know, they boarded, they, they boarded a cruise. Uh, they got off one of their ports. Uh, when, when they went there, they took a taxi over to the Leaning Tower, got in front of it, took a picture. That's true. But there's also more truth to it than that. I, I could go back and say, okay, they boarded a plane in Atlanta, flew into Barcelona, stayed overnight at, at a stranger's house. That's true. Um, boarded, boarded the cruise ship. That would eventually take them to Italy. That's how this picture became a reality. That's true. But there's still more to it than that. Uh, you could say that this, that this uh, picture originated in the mind of an 18-year-old girl that had a big what-if moment. What if me and mom went on the adventure of a lifetime, though neither one of us have really been out of the country by ourselves? And there's a lot of good stories that I could tell you, but I won't, about that trip. But even that's not where this picture of the Leaning Tower originated. It originated in the mind of an architect that I'm not even, y'all have heard me massacre names before, so I'm not going to attempt it today. Um, but leading up to August 9th, 1173, where this architect had this big what-if moment. Man, what if I actually built this? What if we actually put this together? Here's what I know. Our lives are made up a lot of what-ifs and if-onlys. Uh, that, that little word, if, is a powerful word. I don't know if you know it. It's a powerful word. In fact, there are 1,784 ifs in the Bible. Now, a lot of those ifs are connected to a promise from God, like 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, then they'll hear from heaven. If, if, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us. I could go on and on. Remember, there's 1,700 plus of these ifs. If you're a parent, how many parents have got in the house? You learn to be creative with this word if, with your kids. Hey, can I go somewhere? If your room's clean. I don't know about you growing up, if I wanted dessert, can I have dessert? If you finish your dinner. See, I grew up, my mom and dad were old school southern discipliners. They didn't let you get away with stuff. They didn't tell you ten times. They told you once and that was it. Anybody else grow up like that? Come on, all the Yankees are saying they're so, they're just so terrible. And now, but that's why I grew up. If Dad said, "Oh, you're not hungry," see, we would we play this game where we would say, "I'm just not hungry," but I'll eat the dessert. Or you ever move the food around just to make it look like you ate it? Come on, I've been to some of y'all's house where I played that trick. Well, this is this is not that great. How can I come? I'm, I'm just being real. Just nobody here though. 
Um, but, but my dad would go like, oh, oh, you're not hungry right now? I tell you what, Kelly, I'm going to put this plate of food in the fridge, and when you're hungry, that's what you're going to eat. And he stuck to his word. You know, that, that's the way he did. But if, that little word if can change everything in your life. If. Uh, it, it's a powerful word. One of the saddest scriptures in the entire Bible is about uh, uh, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, found in Jeremiah 46, 17. says this, They will exclaim, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is only a loud noise. He has let his opportunity pass by. Another translation says it like this, For he missed his moment. I... Whether you're the graduating class of 2020, whether you're in middle school, high school, whether you've surpassed all that and you're in, working a job, got a family, I don't want you to miss out on your opportunity. I don't want it to be said of you that you missed your moment. Here, here's what I believe. Uh, though At the end of your life, your greatest regret will not be something you did and wish you hadn't. The greatest regret of your life will be what you didn't do but could have. The opportunities that were placed in front of you, but you did not do it. See, when we were in Hawaii, Denise was presented with an opportunity. Y'all, If y'all have been around me, y'all know I am the risk taker in our relationship. I am the adrenaline junkie. I, I'll do pretty much anything once. Uh, and we had a chance to go swimming with manta rays uh, while we were over there. This is way out of Denise's comfort zone. In fact, when once they take you out there, I didn't mention we're out in in this uh, ocean at about ten o'clock at night. So, and we got to get out of the boat. Uh, and so we, I'm I'm out. I'm waiting on Denise, and he's like, I can't do it. Can't do it. So finally, the captain he talks her into getting out. Now, Denise would have missed out if it, and is it well if only. Now, she will not do it again, but she's glad she did it that once. She's glad that she at least had that opportunity. And what I don't want is fear or something else to keep you from missing your moment and your time. Uh, here, see, I know God is grieved by our sin. I know God is grieved by our sin, but I believe something that grieves God more. It's all the woulda, coulda, shouldas in our life because God knew the potential that he placed inside of every person in here, what you were capable of, but you lived a life afraid to take a risk and step out. I believe that grieved him because he gave you so, so, much, so many opportunities that we see, but we, we're scared. So uh, uh, all, all, all of these things, uh, here's what I'm convinced of. You can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. See, when I grew up being a Christian, it was all about this. Make sure you don't do the wrong things. Make sure you don't say the wrong things. Can I tell you being a follower of Jesus, being saved, is more than just not doing something or not saying something. In fact, I'd say it's more about doing the right things, saying the right things, saying yes when God gives you an opportunity. That's about being a follower of Jesus. So if you got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to bring it up on the screen, so don't worry. 
give you a little backstory. It's the ninth century BC. Um, Israel is a divided nation. They pretty much lost their mind. Uh, uh, they were uh, a lot of them had gone to where they were worshiping uh, Baal, the, the false god Baal. So God raises up this young man uh, to be His voice in this rebellious people of His. The young man's name is Elisha, not Elijah. But Elisha was the protege of Elijah. Elijah was this well-known, respected prophet. Elisha, on the other hand, ordinary guy. Nobody even knew anything about Elisha. There was nothing. Like God didn't look down and say, man, he is so spiritual, I'm going to go get him. He's average, ordinary guy living at home, working his parents' farm when God shows up. And that's when we're going to jump in today. 1 Kings 9, 19, starting with verse 19. So Elijah went from there, found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Let's stop right there and back, back it up. It says, when he found Elisha, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. What was Elisha doing when Elijah approached him? Plowing, his normal everyday thing. Something he grew up doing. Something he knew very well. From the time he was able to, to, to get behind there and keep it in place, he was doing that day in, day out. It is the job he was doing the job he'd been doing ever since he could. Anybody ever work at a factory? Anybody currently work at a factory? I worked at Shaw Industries. Uh, for a brief time uh, in my younger days. Do you know what the hardest thing about working at Shaw Industries was? It was the same thing every single day. Day in, day out. I knew where I was going. Got my machine. Knew where I was going. It was going to be, it was monotonous. Come on, anybody work a factory know what I mean? It was monotonous. It is the same job. Well, that that's the that's where Elisha is. Same thing. He's looking at ox butts all day long. 10, 12 hours a day. The scenery never changes. There's days when the smell is bad. And there's days when the smell is really bad. And God forbid that ox eats something that upsets its stomach that morning. Because then you know, Elisha's going for, oh, hold on a minute. Oh, come on. That is what he looked at. Now, now, and the thing is, that's where some of you are. Maybe you're not looking at oxtails all day, ox butts. I think oxtails are food, so I don't want to get some of you hungry. But that's the main, But it's the same thing. Day in, day out, day in. Maybe you work at a factory. It's the same routine every day. Maybe you work in sales, and, and you make your quota. You, you, you live up to the expectation, the standard that was set for you. But guess what? Once you make that quota, let's do it again. It's the same thing. Maybe you're trying to go to school, and while you're going to school, you're having to work to pay the bills. 
So here's what it is. You get up, you go to work, you, you, you uh, go to school or do your online schooling, you go to sleep. You wake up, you go to work, you do your online studies and go to sleep. And it's the same thing over and over and over again. And now since we've been quarantined, some of y'all are getting to spend a little more time than you wanted to with your kids. Be honest. Come on. Not that you don't love them, but we all need a break. Can I get an amen, parents? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. You need a little break. But now it's like get up in the morning, make them breakfast, uh, uh, stop them from arguing, fix them dinner, go to bed. Get up in the morning, fix them breakfast, break up fights, make them dinner. Go to, it's the same routine day in and day out. And here's the thing. When it's the same thing day in and day out, it's easy to lose your passion for what you're doing. It's easy to. It's easy for it to become, oh, man, not again. And that's where Elisha is, day in and day out. But here's the difference maker when it comes to Elisha. What Elisha was doing that day is what we've got to do if we want to live a life, man, that, that God uses us to impact the people and their lives around us is this. Elisha stayed faithful in the little things. When the prophet Elijah comes to him, he finds Elisha being faithful at what was put before him. I guarantee it wasn't his favorite activity, but it was what was put before him. Here's what I believe, God, guys. I believe God rewards those that are faithful in the little things. I believe God, when God sees you being faithful at something that others may think is significantly small, God says, man, they're faithful there. And it begins to give more. It begins to give more. God sees when we're faithful in the little things. And that, and Elisha is faithful in this job that is draining him physically emotionally but every day he's remaining faithful he's remaining faithful and because of that god shows up and says i've got something new for you man there are those that you of you that serve at this church every week before lockdown you were here faithfully every week when, when you heard we were starting back up how hey, pk put me on the road make sure we're make sure we're signed up to serve and you serve here every week, uh, greeting people, changing diapers, teaching kids, taking care of kids, uh, cleaning up. Doing. We've got people between services and after that are spraying down the seats with a Lysol. Uh, and you, every week we got security walking through here. Every week, can, let, me, let me encourage you, stay faithful in the small things. Because it's easy to lose your passion if you don't remind yourself why we're doing what we're doing. Be faithful. So Elijah's faithful. Let's look at verse 19 again. So Elijah, Elijah went from there, found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plying with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, and what did he do? Come on, what did he do, guys? Threw his cloak around him. Why is that significant? What it was, it, it was very symbolic. What Elijah was doing when he took the cloak off of himself and put it upon Elijah. It was very symbolic. What he was saying was, Elijah, what once covered me now covers you. 
The mantle I carry, now you carry. The authority that I operated under, now you operate under. He was saying this, I'm a, I, you're my disciple, you're my student, I, I'm mentoring you. And, and the same God that spoke through me, that did miracles through me, that same God is now going to speak and do miracles through you. It was very symbolic. And he put his cloak over Elisha, verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back, took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to, uh, to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. One thing I want you to notice right off the bat. Elisha didn't have to think about it. Take a few days fasting. He didn't have to, to lay a list. All right, here is the pros why I should go with Elisha. Here's why I shouldn't go. He just left. He went. He didn't, he didn't try to figure out everything before he followed the voice of God, which tells me this. When God calls you to do something, you don't have to understand all the details to immediately obey. When God calls you to something. In fact, I'll say this. If you're waiting to understand all the details about what God's calling you to do, you'll probably never do anything for God. Nothing. Why, Why won't God give you the details? Anybody? Because you can't handle the details. Come on. Come on. Come on now. Elijah didn't give Elijah any detail at all. Elijah simply heard the call of God. And he obeyed immediately. I tell you, I want to be that way. I, I, I want to be that way when I hear the voice of God or when I feel his leading to just, okay, God, let's go. I, I, I'll do it. Uh, and see, God will rarely give you the details. In fact, sometimes I think God is uh, very strategic and vague in the details. Come on now. Because here's the truth about me, and if you're honest, it's the truth about you. If God laid out the full plan, uh, you'd be go, uh, not today, Jesus. Pick somebody else, Jesus. I, if you've been a part of this church very long, you've heard me say, if God has showed Denise and I what we were going to be walking into, and what it would cost us, we'd say, oh, we're good here in Swanee, Georgia. We've got a great job, a great church here. We're fine, God. Thank you. But now we look back, and, man, we love the people here. We love what my mom and dad started. And I'm telling you, God will rarely give you all the details because he knows you can't handle the details. What God does is, here's your next step. Take it. And a lot of times, that next step, God will only, do, God will only give you one word. I want to be that guy that just one word from God is enough for me to go. I mean, you look throughout Scripture. Basically, when God give, gave direction, one word. Moses, go. Abraham, go. You look in the New Testament at Peter. Uh, remember when the disciples are out there on that boat, a storm comes up, and, and it's raging, and they're scared for the life. They look out, they think they see a ghost that finds out they're Jesus. Well, when Peter finds out it's Jesus, what does he say? Hey, Jesus, if that's you, 
let me come out to you. One word, Jesus says, come. Come. Kelly, I need details. Here it is. Come. Go. Come on now. I'm telling you, one word. One word. Some of you, are, today you're going to hear one word that God is speaking to you, and you need to act on it. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you're struggling, and you're thinking about calling it quits, and you hear one word. Stay. Stay. Maybe it's your health. Things don't look good. And, and things, or maybe it's the health of somebody else, and God, is, God gives you one word. Healer. Healer. Trust. Man, some of you have been uh, hurt by someone or hurt by, by, by a, a, a church or someone else outside of church, and it's caused you not to trust anybody. I get it. I get it. In fact, and, and that lack of trust even hinders your walk with God because you're constantly thinking, you may not say it, but in the back of your mind, God is eventually going to let me down, just like other people did. And the one word that God maybe sends, trust, trust, trust. Some of you, man, you may be start thinking about starting a business or a ministry, and you're trying to figure out all the details, the ins and outs, and the one word that God may be speaking is start. Take a step. Some of you have been hanging out here at this church for a while. You're growing, but you're a spectator, and God may be giving you one word. Commit. Settle. Plant talked about this uh, in, in the message a few months ago. I think one of the biggest problems with Christians and, and churches, people in church, is that the churches are full of potted plants. See, a potted plant, when I get tired, I can pick that plant up and just move it where I want to. But the problem with that is that plant can only grow as much as that pot allows it to grow. And it's until you plant it that it can now grow into its full capacity. And I believe if there are some people in here, God is saying, plant yourself. Plant. No, you're not going to like everything about this church. You're, if you Listen, if you find the perfect church, don't go. You will screw it up for the rest of the perfect people there. Don't go. Because there is none. But if God tells you to plant yourself there, stay. Plant yourself. You're there for a reason. Let's move on. Look at verse 21 again. So Elisha left him, went back, took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned the plowing equipment, uh, uh, cooked the meat, gave it to the people. They ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Here's the truth that I'm learning more and more and more. Those that God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. Those that hold on to the God, those that God uses most are the ones that hold on to the least. Elisha first takes his ox, slaughters them. Well, those were his livelihood. That's how he made a living. That's how he took care of his family. He slaughters them. And in my mind, I can reason that out, okay? And he was Jewish, and uh, man, whenever God would do something, they'd offer a sacrifice. But he didn't stop there. Then he takes his plows and burns them up. If it's me, I'm like, hey, hey, let's stop. How about we put those on Facebook Marketplace? How about we get a little money to travel with? But no, 
He, he says, if Elisha is making a declaration to his family, to his friends, to Elijah, and to God, there is no plan B. I'm not leaving room for me to be able to go back to this. There's nothing back there for me. There's no plan B. I'm with you. I'm all in. I'm telling you, if I'm being honest, as a dad, if Zion came to me with this plan, I'm going to sit him down and think, like, Zion, man, I appreciate your passion for Jesus. I appreciate your, your, your expression of faith, but how about we keep options open a little? How about this? You go follow God, but let's keep the ox and the plows just in case. Come on. But he said, no, there's no plan B. And when I read through the different stories in the Bible of those that God used mightily, every one of them, when God told them to do something, they acted with ridiculous faith. Faith that people looking on thought they had lost their mind. But I'm telling you, I, I want to be used by God. And I know, it, I, I want to be, be part of the process. I got a text, man, that yesterday, um, I won't embarrass him, and he says, man, I just want you to know, man, you know, you, you helped him in, in the salvation and get him back. And I just said, man, I'm just thankful that I could be a small part in what God is doing in your life because I know it's not about me. Listen, I am broken. I'm, I've got problems. I've got things in my life. I just choose to say yes to God, believing God can use, if God can use anything, he can use me. And I'm telling you guys, I, I read through it, and it was just people that said, okay, yes, I'll go. You remember Jesus' first encounter with Peter before his name was changed to Peter? He was called Simon. You know, uh, he had been out fishing all night, him and his friends. It's what they did for a living. Hadn't caught anything all night. And then Jesus says this to him. He says, uh, Jesus says, throw your boat net that on the other side. And Simon says, Master, we have worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. Now remember, this is pre-Christian Peter. He has, he's not made a decision to follow Christ. But look what he says. But because you say so, I'm going to do it. You know what I think is so sad? And it's still happening today. That people that don't claim to be followers of Jesus can hear the voice of Jesus and respond quicker than a lot of Christians can. Because Christians will hear the voice of God and they want to reason it out. They want to see how they're going to, instead of just simply obeying. And Simon's like, I don't understand why you're asking me to do this. But hey, you said to do it, let's do it. They put their nets down. The Bible says they catch so many fish that they have to call their partners in to help them pull them out of the water pull the fish in i mean it is the catch they have been waiting for their whole life and then here we are a few verses later look what happens jesus said to simon don't be afraid from now on you will fish for people and look what they do so they pulled their boats up on shore left everything and followed him left their livelihood, left their family, 
left their hometown, left their comfort zone to follow him. I mean, put that in your mind about if that was you. Jesus says, follow me, and you leave everything. I'm leaving the job I went to school for. Good, I spent money and time going to school for this job. I've got seniority at this job. I've got this going on. Follow me. I mean, and it says they left everything to follow him. This is one of those. This is like the Elisha moment where he burns the plows. Saying there is no plan B. We're leaving everything behind. What if Peter had chosen to say, no, no, thank you, Jesus, I'm good. I appreciate the offer, but I'm comfortable here. And by the way, I just hit the mother load of catches. And you want me to walk away from this? This is what I've been working. In fact, Jesus, I may see this as a sign of God that I'm exactly where I need to be. Come on, Christian, we do that a lot. What if Peter had chosen not to follow? And can you imagine if he said, no, that's all right, thank you, but no. Can you imagine him being out weeks or months later and being there the day that the crowd is huge, 5,000 plus people. 5,000 was just the men. Most scholars say it was somewhere between sixteen to 20,000 that Jesus fed. Jesus takes these two fish, five loaves, and Peter watches him take that and break it and feeds all these people with that. Then he watches Jesus' disciples go around and pick up the, the, the extras that were left over. Can you imagine what would be running through Peter's mind? I guarantee that would be one of his if-only moments. If only I hadn't been too afraid to say yes. If only I'd been too scared to leave what I knew behind to follow him. But the thing is, that's not what happened. The Bible says he left everything to follow Jesus. Everything. That's where some of you are today, man. God is speaking to you, and you're going to have to have enough faith to step out and burn your plows, leave everything, and declare there's no plan B. Now, I, 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 I know I need to stop right here because I know some people are going to hear that well, I hate my job, and you're going to take that as an opportunity to go there and say, hey, forget you, boss, I'm out of here. Take this job and shove it. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you know within your knower that God has spoke to you and called you, and you know it, and it's going to, ask, it's going to require you to leave some things that you're comfortable with. It's going to require you to walk away from some things that it's time that some of you are going to say, I choose to leave everything and declare there is no plan B in this for me. Some of you are going to have to burn your plows, but you know what else some of you need to do? Burn some bridges. Burn some bridges. When Casey got clean for this last time, before he was able to get a phone, man, we cleared his phone out. I don't want you having any of your old contacts. I want to know where you're at every, tell her that's so mean. I don't, I don't care if it's mean. Dave, big Dave here, man. Me and Casey are walking this, this guy right here through some stuff. And he says, PK, I'll let you talk to me that way because I know you care about me. 
Some of you need to burn some bridges on some relationships. You need to burn some bridges on some activities in your life. Come on. Some of you need to burn some bridges on some friendships. Because I, I've told this about, I had a, one of my, probably my best friend. And the problem is when we got together, we did stuff that we would normally not do apart. And when I began to get serious in my walk, God said, you've got to break that friendship off. Three years we didn't talk. And it was great for him and it was great for me. And God actually brought that friendship back together. I got to play it and sing at his wedding. And, and, and we have been friends since. But I'm going to tell you, you may have to burn some bridges. Some of you need to burn this bridge between your back and forth with Jesus. Can you? Because God is not calling you back there. He's calling you forward. What is it you're holding on to? Is it an addiction? Is it a relationship? Is it an attitude? Some of y'all walk around here with that thing that you're holding on to like your Linus from the Peanuts. Remember Linus who walked around with a blanket everywhere he want, went? Why? Because that was his security. And here's what you need to understand. is to step towards your destiny. You will have to step away from your security. That thing that makes you comfortable, that thing that this is, well, what would they think if this, this is how people know me? I'm telling you, Elisha decided no plan B. I'm not leaving any wiggle room. I'm all in. And get this, because he's, he decided not to play it safe, Elisha has more recorded miracles in the Bible than anybody else with the exception of Jesus. Hmm. What if he had chosen to play it safe? TK, you don't understand. I have got so many issues in my life. I've got so many bad decisions that I've made, so much junk in my life. Do you know this about the Leaning Tower? I, I didn't really know it until I studied it more. The architect didn't set out to design a tower that leans. I mean, you know that? In fact, it was originally designed to be a bell tower, and for five years, it stood straight. But when they added the third floor, it began to lean. And when it began to lean, they stopped construction on it. And no construction went on on that for 100 years. In 1272, Giovanni de Simone came forward and began four more floors to the tower. And what he tried to do was compensate by adding a, a little higher side on the other, try, trying to compensate. But that only made the tower lean more. So 1228, construction was stopped. In 1319, the seventh floor was finished. The bell chamber was finally put in place, and it was left alone until the 19th century. World War II, American soldiers invaded, and they were ordered to destroy any and all buildings in that region to, so they could uh, neutralize any threat of snipers hiding in them. But before they could destroy the Leaning Tower, a retreat was set in order. In 1964, Italy asked for help to prevent the Leaning Tower from falling over. But they wanted to keep the lean, get this, because the flaw in design had made it a popular tourist destination. In 1987, it was declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site. In 1990, it was closed, the bell tower removed, 
and the tower was anchored. It reopened in 2001 for tourists, and it has now become one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world. And that is where this picture originated. That's what made this picture possible. A designer starting out with something and seeing the flaws, but instead of saying, let's just tear it down, the flaws made it what it is today. Some of you, that's where you are. You've got flaws. You've got some things in your life that you think nobody. But God says, let me take those things. And they'll become a monument that those in your life that knew you back then, they will speak about what you've become today. I'm telling you guys, stand with me.